Good evening, I'm from Essex, in case you couldn't tell. My given name is Dickie, I come from Billericay, and I'm doing very well. Welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club. We're in a car park again, the car park again. We're in a car park somewhere between Whittam and Colchester. Essex, we're in the heart of Essex. On the A12, parked in a car park of a former diner. Yep. That is now Pulse and Cocktails. <laughs> a sex shop. Adult store. Adult superstore. And the good news is it's about 9, 10 a.m. on a opened. weekday. It's just opened. It's opened at 9. We could be the first customers in there <laughs> for a cocktail and a bit of adult stuff. It might, cocktail might mean something else here, though. What I liked about the front door as we passed it, although you wouldn't go in, you wimp, is it said, it said, couples that play together, stay, stay together. together. Yeah, yeah. And I thought of you and me at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't want to go in. <laughs> what book could possibly bring us out into this world? Well, it's a, it's a funny one. Well, well, I, we've got actually doing two books. We're doing two books. We're doing uh, book one and book three of a series of 24 books. 24? We're not doing 24. all 24, no, are we're we? We're doing book one and book three. Okay. Do you want to read your bit first? This will give you a clue. This story, this is the first book, is about greed, yeah. desire, love and death. In the world of antiques, you get them all. And book three begins, Antiques and women are my only interests. It sounds simple, but you just try putting them in the right order. Oh, wow. It's love joy. It's love joy. Love joy. Love joy. Love joy. Curiously specific book club. There is an element of hatred and rejection in men's relationships to women, which women are unfortunately unaware of at their peril. I would say that Lovejoy would absolutely come to Pulse and Cocktails. Well, paint the scene of the opening uh, scene in the book for, the, uh, for that for our listener. Well, this it was a bit difficult. Yes. We're going to engage with this head on. All right. Health warning. Published in 1977. Seven. Yeah. The first written, one. Written, we guess, in 76, but we've got a little wrinkle about that, yeah. about dates, which is why we're here, for yeah. dates and locations. Yeah. And the opening scene in book one, The Judas Pair, yeah. is we meet him... As his barker, Tinker Dill, a barker is the person who goes and finds deals for you to yeah, do as an antique buyers and dealer. sellers. And uh, he's on the nest <laughs> with his with his girlfriend, Lovejoy is. Lovejoy's on the nest. With, with his, his bird, as his he bird. charmingly refers to her. <laughs> because he wants to do antiques business, I think he puts them in the order of antiques and then yeah, women. Yeah, I yeah. think that's fair to and say. she doesn't take it very well. She, she, well, he shoves her in the bathroom oh, to start right. with, and to saying, door. yeah, to say... I've got, to make, I've, I've got to take this call. I've got to take this call. She's understandably upset, and literally on about page three, he puts down the phone because she's making a noise, and he hits her. Yeah, just slaps her. But what's interesting uh, about that is that I haven't read the second book, yeah. but he starts book three in exactly the same way. He's on the nest with Betty this time. <laughs> In a tent on the village green. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tinker Dill phones from the White, White Hart. Yeah, the pub. She doesn't like it that he's taking the phone call, so he hits her. I dropped the receiver, crossed to open the bathroom door. There she was, trying to push past me into the room, blazing. What the hell do you mean, she was starting to say, when I belted her. Down she went on the loo amid the steam. 
Uh, You're was... not going. She pulled at my arm, angry and disbelieving. Let go. I got enough of the flap undone. Of all the... Betty tried a furious swipe in my head, but I clouted her before her hand landed. She tumbled over a table and a trifle splashed nastily. So you you suggested we do these books, and I read the opening scene. I had to persuade you <laughs> to read on, didn't going, I? Really? Are we going really, to do really, this? Really? Okay, so, so listener... Let's not pretend... Don't that, get put off. Let's not pretend that's okay. Yeah. But it's also... They are very good books. As thrillers, they're very they're, good there's thrillers. some very good moments they're in it. That he, there's always a missing antique that he's meant to find, and it's associated with a murder. Someone's done, committed murder in order to get hold of a valuable antique that's a sort of mythical yeah. object. Yeah. And then Lovejoy is somehow embroiled into trying to A, find the mythical antique, and B, therefore, find the murderer. Yes. That's essentially what that's goes it, on. That's essentially what goes on, and that's what we're going to talk about. But as my wife said as I left the house this morning... Please make sure you address the misogyny. <laughs> and you said, <laughs> and I said, and we're just off to no, slap smash the patriarchy. I'm not in the bathroom. So, do you want to tell her now that you're at the adult store? Just outside Colchester. We did it. Working. <laughs> Oi. Do you remember me? That's right. You gave me a little bit of a whack when I was younger. I'll forgive you. The Culture to Punk movement is up in airs. Because tonight, ladies and gentlemen, the Culture to Punk movement is alive and well and living with Uncle Dean. Because Uncle Dean is the last of the Mohicans. Uncle Dean is the last punk standing who has got a big trunk when it comes to staying that the punks are alive and well and living in Colchester. And they're a very big movement. And they are the punks. Get stuck, you <laughs> Practically every town nowadays has an antique market, mart, arcade, call it what you will. Our town has an arcade of maybe ten antique shops. Imagine Billy Bunter's idea of the Sun King's Palace, built by our town council, who'd run out of money before finishing the foyer, and you've got our shopping arcade. <laughs> That's quite good, isn't it? That's quite good, isn't it? Yeah. So they throw in a cafe to entice the unwary. He spends a lot of time in the cafe, doesn't he? Yeah. It's called something. What's it called? Woody's Bar. That's it. Woody's Cafe. Woody's Bar tries to hide itself in an alley between a pub and a jeweller's, but gives itself away by gushing out steamy blue fumes swamping the pavement. Well, there's an alley, there's an alley with a pub next to it. The just alley's here. partly covered and is known as the arcade to locals. This is it. This is it. <laughs> now we're getting it. This see? is it, right? Yeah, yeah, there's the pub. Look. Partly covered. Partly glass, covered. Look, glass roof. Here's a pub. Fry up Friday. <laughs> and there's a cafe behind the Red Line Hotel. We're here. This We're is here. here. This is it. This is absolutely it. Just off the high street. Just That's off the high street. And out into the high street. And here we are. We're in the... We are... The George. The George. <laughs> there it is. They go to the George. They go to the George. And how suddenly, how Rob Lovejoy country. <laughs> it all comes together. As we wander through the oldest recorded town in Britain, you can see parts of the original Roman wall that stood here for over 2,000 walls. Not 2,000 walls, 2,000 years. 
everybody for coming. I just wanted to start off by saying it's the book that made me a feminist. There was already a feminist movement going on in America when the book was first published. Not much in Britain, where I was at that time, but it was reading that book that made me a feminist. And if you talk to other women from that time, it made thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of women feminists at that time. So it's a very, very important book. So would you call this the North Sea Coast? Because that's what it says in the book, isn't it? It does say the North Sea. He says North Sea fishing village, doesn't he? He comes to the... What does it say there? Book, book three. Book three. The Grail Tree. He comes to the North Sea. He says the North Sea coast has strings of small fishing villages. Drab hangers small, even for one of these. Hal Asprey's Antiques Emporium in Drabhanger was practically on the wharf of the fishing village, sandwiched between an old church and a bakery. Oh, that's lots of clues there, then. Lots of clues, but frustratingly, we found a place called Goldhanger... That isn't, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really, he's the bond of the antiques world. Is a, to, but there uh, doesn't seem to be any kind of fishing activity there. There is a church. This is, West Mersey has got... So you, you brought us to West Mersey. Well, I brought us here because the, the, the guy you meet, Al Asprey, mm-hmm. is an RNLI lifeboatman. Yes. So he rushes out. Well, oh, the weather's there. deteriorating. The weather's That's deteriorating. right, he actually has to go where, and out. And there's an RNLI station here. And there's, an, there's another one at Clacton. There's not, but I'm thinking maybe there were far more of them in the 1970s than there are today. But it's a good spot. It is we're a good sat, spot. We're sat, uh, we're sat down amidst the tenders from the fishing boats. It's low they're tide. Low tide, so they're all up on the sand. It's all muddy. It stinks of seaweed. And I guess it, these, these kinds of places are where Lovejoy likes to hang out, which well, are do. that there's, little, there's a little antique store. We yeah. drove through places. There's, there's big old estates that obviously have house clearances with lots of valuable stuff in them. Was and then Birch there's Hall we drove past? Birch, Birch Hall. Hall. And then there's dodgy little antique shops on the, in these little villages. It's much more, um, I don't know, really know Essex very well, but it's much more Lovejoy-ish than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, bit, and rough around the edges, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, but, but, you know, that kind of, as you say, super wealthy posh bits, right cheek by jowl with slightly disreputable living on the edge bits. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the sea as well. Yeah. So, and we're only, how, we're 10 miles from 10 Colchester? 10 miles from Colchester. So Colchester is the only town he doesn't make up the name about. Every other one he's making up the he name. He doesn't name it, though. Never says Colchester. The word culture doesn't appear anywhere in the book, as far as I can see. Really? No. He talks about the town and the museum and the arcade, but I don't think he ever uses the word Colchester. Really? Gosh, I'm very surprised by that. So when we say he, I suppose we ought to just say... We talk about Jonathan Gash. We just talk about him a bit, right? Now, Jonathan Gash is in fact the pen name of Dr. John Grant... A physician who specialises in infectious diseases. John Grant, he called himself Jonathan Gash, apparently because it's rhyming slang for trash. Nice. In the sense of good for nothing. Nice. So uh, he started learning about antiques when he was working as a medical student. He was doing odd jobs. Oh, yeah. He began a labouring job in the Cutler Street Antiques Market in London's East End. Oh, so he's actually done a bit of work in the antiques trade. He casted around antiques and had them appraised by a real-life expert who became the model for Lovejoy, according to this. Gash learned enough from this hands-on experience in the trade to be able to make his own forgeries. So apparently he he makes his own forgeries and sells them and donates the money to charity. So he is is Lovejoy. He was a a GP in London from 58 to 59, a pathologist in London and Essex from 58 to 62. Then he worked in Hanover and Berlin 
and he was in the medical corps of the British Army from 65 to 68. Oh, so Lovejoy's been in the army. Lovejoy's been in the army, we'll talk about that. And then he went to Hong Kong in 1968 and left Hong Kong in 1971. Went to become head of the bacteriology unit of the School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine at the University of London. Moved to Essex, we'll come on to that. And basically wrote the first book or books on the train. Oh, on really? his lap, longhand. I've got some quotes from him here, by the way, in Go his on. interview. He did an interview in the New York it's Times. It's the only interview we could find with him, right? Yeah. Isn't it? I think he's probably quite a private person. Yeah. It says, it says the village where, he's, where he lives, which we're going to go and find, by the yeah. way. But he, he talks about the, the person he worked with in a the antiques. A dreadful old rogue. Yeah. But a wonderful teacher. So over the years, Dr. Grant built up a collection of jade. He talks about the handling of jade quite a, lovely, a lot. Lovely bit, bit on jade yeah. in the book. English flintlock mechanisms, lots about flintlock, and yeah. modern English watercolours. So all of those things are mentioned quite a lot. So yeah. he, he, he's, a, he's a polymath. He, so he's a scientist, he knows about antiques, he's travelled, he's been in the army. And he's written 24 novels. He's quite something, isn't he? He says he wrote his first Lovejoy tale for light relief, following an unhappy experience with an earlier serious novel. Yeah. Well, he's written poetry. He's got a book of poetry. As, as, Have uh, you had a, an unhappy experience with an earlier serious novel? Call this number. <laughs> I have had several unhappy experiences with serious novels. I turn to antiques, the things that gave me constant pleasure, enjoyment and replenishment. Is he talking about antiques or women again? I love antiques dealers. They're dealers from the soles of their feet to their hair. Yeah. A dealer could suddenly find himself alone with Raquel Welsh. That dates him. And the first thing he'd notice was that there's a Chinese porcelain on the mantelpiece. I love it. That is so, that's like, that is so Lovejoy, isn't it? That is so Lovejoy. I suppose the other thing that you'll say about Lovejoy is that he's a divvy, as in a divine. A divvy. In he can he, tell whether something's a genuine antique. He just just by sense, touching it. He just senses it. He has chimes he inside chimes. his body. Yeah, yeah. He knows that it's a real thing. So he's got a special power. Yeah. So that's quite good, I think. Yeah. Um, so we should go to an antiques store, because you, you never know. I might be a divvy. You, you might be a divvy. Come on! Come on! Hurry up, Mary, come on! Come on! Come on! Hurry up, Mary, come on! I really don't know what women are asking for. Now, suppose I wanted to give it to them. Listen, you may as well relax, because whatever it is they're asking for, honey, it's not for you. No. (laughs) The White Heart would be starting up. Harry, possibly Jane Felsham, Adrian, probably Tinker, and for absolute certain, Dandy Jack. They'd all be there. Later would come. I just noticed Jane Felsham. Yeah, what? In the TV show, Lady Felsham is yeah, Jane yeah. Felsham. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. she's an antiques dealer in the books. I hadn't clocked that <laughs> until now. Later would come the Knightleys, the knocker dealers who touted door to door leaving cards or hoping housewives bored to torture would fall for their blue eyes enough to search their attics. Then the pub dealing would start. Cuts, rings, groups, fractional slices of profit. Marginal gains, the entire lovely exhilarating game of nudges and nods. I pulled the curtains too. So we're in the White Hart, and it's meant to be an absolutely ram full of... Traditionally, traditionally spit and sawdust, the White Hart had upgraded its saloon to a feeble mock Tudor plush, but its alcove stayed wholesome. 
It's not, not like that now. No, so w- describe it now. So, um, nice 17th century pub on the outside. You come in and it's got some rather fancy new glass doors around the very old grade two listed door. Mm. Low ceiling, beams. Um, there is a saloon that has been upgraded. True. Um, we're, but the, but the di- it's, it's like like many pubs. It's the dining room has been extended. And it's it basically has. it's basically a restaurant on this side of the pub. It is. So it's not. If it is this pub, and I think it probably is, it's changed out of all recognition from when he there was. There are here. no antique dealers here. Well, there might be. There's a man over there with a gilet who could be an antique dealer. Why don't you go up to the bar and ask if you can get a good satsuma? If I, well, <laughs> if I shout Judas Pear and see what happens. And <laughs> see what happens. Look, here's the other bit. The White Heart was fairly full. Yes, it is. Everybody talking all at once as usual. Very yeah, true, yeah. you can hear from the noise. Yeah. I paused for a second, rapturously inhaling the booze-laden smoke and gazing around. Not allowed to smoke in pubs anymore. Oh, no. Lovejoy wouldn't be... Uh, he doesn't smoke, does he? Thank you very much. Beautiful, thank you. He doesn't smoke, does he? One of the, he's, he's one and only... He doesn't. No, he doesn't smoke. He does everything else. He gets drunk once, doesn't he? He do, Yeah, he does everything else bad, but he doesn't smoke. Anyway, Jenny and Harry were huddled close up tight. I'd heard Jenny was seeing some wealthy bloke on the sly. Maybe Harry had tumbled, or maybe they'd bounced a deal wrong. Well, antiques occasionally cause difficulties, I snickered to myself. Tinker Dill was there, yeah. holding forth against the bar to a cluster of other grubby barkers. Helen was resting, long of leg and full of curves, on a stool like women with good legs do, and gave me a half-smile and a nod. She's always exhaling smoke. She even smokes in bed. Er, I mean, I suppose she probably does. (laughs) Margaret was in too. I waved. Big Frank wasn't in yet. Patrick was showing off to anyone who cared. Lily gave me a wave. It's just ridiculous sort of character lists of names. And then the, so there's no non-antique dealers in this pub. <laughs> Why would you come out here? This is where about how many miles from Colchester? About four miles from Colchester, aren't we? Four or five miles from Colchester. When you could go to the George Hotel, which is clearly in the middle of town on the high street, quite near the auction house, which I found, by the way, called Stanford's. Yeah. Which is a, a real well, place. He mentioned the George in the book. He says... Why, would, you, George when he's in why would all the antique dealers around Colchester yeah. go for four miles, presumably on public transit, because they're not driving when they get that sloshed, are they? Well, are he does they? drive. Yes. He gets done for driving. Drunk under the driving, influence. right. So they're all drunk driving to come to here to do deals all the time. It's a bit odd, isn't it? It's very strange. And I, I, wonder, I also wonder why he did that. Well, now we think he comes here because we think he lives in here, don't we? Well, his village. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, we're going we're to go and try and find yeah. the cottage. But, um, but we're, are we, we should probably say, say that Jonathan Gash lives here in West Burkholt. Yes. So you we, know exactly where he lives. I know where he is. I found his... Are we going to stand outside his house and shout, Lovejoy? Lovejoy! <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I found his address in the Who's Who of Authors from 2004. So, yeah, I know exactly what his address is. Right, well, we're going there, definitely. And we suspect, what we're going to go and find out, we suspect it's quite close to where Lovejoy's cottage supposedly is. So, um... So, yeah, White yeah. Heart... Yes, this is the White Heart. Well, it's... You know, you know we did Top Trumps. Yeah, for uh, yes. for Eagle has landed. Yeah, um, I kind of think this is a 
a solid six and a half. Yes. Um, there's, just, there's, there's certain things wrong with it, but because so much has changed around here, I mean, you showed me a map of the village from the 19, late 60s. Very different. It's completely different. I mean, most of the housing here has been built yeah. in the 70s and 80s. So this pub has probably been refurbished five times since yeah. 1971. So it's unrecognisable. So, But in terms of the drive into Colchester that's that right. he described, that's definitely that right. seems right. So White Hart, this is the White Hart. We're not going to look at another White Hart, are we? We're not going to bother. Well, there's a White Hart in Coggleshaw. Yeah. But Coggleshaw's just a much bigger place than us. It's not a village. It's not that. It's not near enough Colchester in the same way in the description. It's, not, it's certainly not down the hill from Coggleshaw. There are only two things in favour of Coggleshaw that I like. One is there is a lot of antique shops there. Yeah, but none of the antique dealers in the White Hart have got a shop in the village. They've all got shops in Colchester. Okay, fair play. Second thing about Coggleshaw is it's a dark... Apart from Honky, who's got a shop in, um, a shop in Clacton for the tourists. <laughs> You're getting into it now. Honky. Honky. <laughs> Presumably, it's it's no, 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 please, it's no. It's only just no, a no. It's only just a no, it's no. We need to undistract ourselves. It's so easy to get distracted. This salt and this pepper are trying to distract me. So I'm putting the pepper and the salt over there. So we've come down uh, Chapel Lane in West Burkhold as he talks about walking up to the chapel from his uh, from his cottage. So we've we've, chosen... walked, we've driven past Jonathan Gash's house on Chapel Lane, but I'm not going to reveal the name of the house. <laughs> I'm just saying I don't think he made enough money out of these novels. It's not a very big house, is it? Well, I'm assuming this is his second home. Maybe. Um, I'm hoping he's just gone off to the Bahamas. We've carried on down the... Um, uh, there's lots of descriptions of the cottage and places and around the cottage, but the, but the one that I think nails it is... Um, Lydia said, all misty, gazing at the obnoxious view. Isn't it just beautiful? Eh? I peered. She actually meant it. I cast a glance at the river below, the valley's green shoulder, the woods and fields and a few cows noshing grass. Do you mean the viaduct? A lovely railway still runs over the river a mile off. No trees obscure full sight of it. There are seven luscious brick arches soaring from the fields so the railway can straddle the obnoxious countryside and passengers need not notice it if they don't want to. And there it is, straight over that field. If anything, it's a bit close. Maybe not, actually. Maybe that is a mile away. So I think this is it. We found a cottage at the end of Chapel Lane that's very on its own. Yep. At the end of a long hedge... There's a lot of houses on Chapel Lane that have been built in the 70s and 80s, so it would have felt a lot more cut off when the book was originally written than it does now. But even now it feels quite cut off. And we're walking down a lovely pathway behind it through the fields. Just so we can get a view of it. Yes. So we're quite pleased with ourselves, aren't we? We think we found Love We think we found Love. We think we found Love Joy's house! Well, of course, let's be clear, though. What? This is his second cottage... Yes, because the first cottage... And the first cottage gets burnt to the ground. It's in the same place, though, isn't it? Hmm? No, he's, yes, yeah. he's rebuilt it. With yeah. what, well, I suppose he obviously had wise enough to have insurance to rebuild it for book three, which then he talks about. This is why he's broke. Because he's had to rebuild his house. So here he says, you see, when, he, when he's talking about it, it, says, down the lane is a copse, if that's the right word, a little wood joining my garden. That's the bit I'm a bit worried about. There are some trees at the back there. 
Yeah, I actually, I'm actually wondering whether it's further, actually, it's further up Chapel Lane, the model. It's yeah. almost too good, that cottage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're in the right part of the world, is, is we can, look at that. The viaduct's like right there. See, it's almost we're too close to the viaduct. I think it's further up Chapel Lane. Yeah. Which is where Jonathan Gash's house is. So maybe so Jonathan the, Gash's house is Lovejoy's house. So this is the right road. Yeah. It's exactly here. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the descriptions of where, the, where his cottage is is exactly here. Do you know what I find a bit odd, though? Yeah. There's no mention. We've not seen any mention of Love. You'd think somebody would have capitalised on it at the some Lovejoy point. Trail. The Lovejoy Trail. Lovejoy. Who's going to capitalise on that, do you think? <laughs> that might be us. Sex pests. <laughs> the Lovejoy Trail. Se- the Sex Pest Trail. A free pasty. The, gro- to- the Gropers Trail. Oh, my God. Now, you wanted to talk a little bit about dates. Yes, I did. Well, so we've now done the location. So we've so got we the location. So we know where Lovejoy's house is. Yeah. It's in West Bergholt at the bottom of Chapel Lane. Yeah. In Essex, to emphasise. In Essex. It's so not we, in Norfolk. So, it's not so in Suffolk. We, that's perfect. It accords with exactly where he needs to go. About to cross the golf course. Oh, he's on the back of the golf course, which he yeah. mentions as well. He, in he does mention that as well. Yeah, yeah. I feel that we may not have been as specific as we should about sometimes with books. We've let things slide a bit about being uber detailed and nerdy. Yeah. So I thought last night I thought I'll stay up late and I'll check for you were wor- you were worried we hadn't got the references. I started looking up references and I got to this point. He says, "I've seen a Spencer and Perkins striking watch uses a weight on a plumb line." You still don't believe me? Don't then. Go and ask the Colchester labourers who dug out an old bucket a couple of years ago yeah. and found in it the lost Colchester hoard of thousands of medieval silver coins. Yeah. Then I looked that up and I found in a back issue of the East Anglian Daily Times, yeah. Colchester, coins from hoard go under the hammer. 750-year-old long cross silver pennies were all made during the reign of King Henry III. There were among 14,065 coins in a lidded lead canister found by labourers George Purvis and Ronald Munson when they were working on a new boot store in the High Street. OK. What year was that? What year was that, Tim? 1969. That was two years ago in the book. 1969. Which would make the setting of the book 1971. Seven, 1971. So he comes back from Hong Kong... In 19... The author? Yeah. 1971? Yes, you did say that. Yes. Came back in 1971, didn't he? Yes, he came back to Britain in 1971. He was in Hong Kong from 68 to 71. So that, for me, changes the book quite a lot. OK. Don't you think that it's, up, that it's 1971? It would also make sense of what we just said about the lost Colchester. Is yeah. That basically, the old lanes and the old shops were uh, knocked down... In about 1972, 73, we believe, because then there were the archaeological excavations from 74 yeah. to 76, and then yeah. the new arcade went up in 77, 78. Yeah. So his world, Lovejoy's antique world of his early 70s, has to happen before 74. Yeah. But then the other thing that he mentions that he poo poos, yeah, because he, he's a, he's a bloke, is that he uh, he talks about. I've never really believed very much in all this subliminal learning stuff they talk about nowadays. <laughs> you know the sort of thing. Showing a one-second glimpse of a complex map in semi-darkness and getting psychiatrists to see if you can remember its details 20 years later. 
nor do I go in for this extrasensory perception and or psychomotive force, spoon bending and thought transference. Spoon bending? Spoon bending. Why would he say spoon bending? Well, He'd say spoon bending because he knows about Yuri Geller. Yes. And when was Yuri Geller? So then I thought, I'll look up Yuri Geller. Yeah. Which was handy. Yeah, yeah. And if you go to Yuri Geller's website, yeah. which you, I urge you to do. Really? <laughs> he didn't clear your browser history afterwards. YuriGeller.com. Yeah. He has a section called Pictures from My Story. Oh dear. Not his life, his story. My week with Michael Jackson. It's got pictures of him in 1971. His dad in the British Army, which I didn't know. Yeah. Him in the Israeli Army. Yeah. And then in 1971, he's in Munich. Okay. And there's a very fine picture of him standing on escalator in the sub- and with, a, with a caption that reads, Concentrating on stopping the escalator in Munich in 1971. <laughs> and then the next but one with is... with his mind. The next picture is a very fine picture of him in a very lovely coat in front of a cable car, which he is claiming to have stopped with his mind. <laughs> yeah, then he's with Barbara Scheidt and her silverware which was bent during a telecast in Germany in 1971. And he has a crowd of so 4,000 first... people in an indoor arena in Geneva. So the first spoon bending was in Germany in 1971? Yes. Oh, to a vast crowd. I didn't know it was By in 1973 Germany. he was having experiments to test his brain waves. And then what else is... We... There's so many good pictures in here of him doing ridiculous... He's bending a strip of metal. Uh, he writes his, clearly writes his own captions... What else has he captions. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. He actually he he's now got a picture of him with the engineer in front of the console for controlling the cable car, which demonstrates that a switch from the cable car controls had been flipped with his mind. Seriously. What a ridiculous report. Okay. <sighs> Anyways, nineteen seventy one. I've got a couple of other things to add. How yeah. old do you think Lovejoy is? Well, in the first book, he mentions being in the army. Yes, very good. Um, he actually talks about being in a war. He does talk about being in a war, but, but being in a valley with them shooting over the top of him. In the east. In the east. So it's either Suez yeah. or Korea. I think it's Korea. Which is 1950. Yes, he's conscripted age 18. It's 1971. So he's 39. 39. Perfect. Perfect age. Perfect <laughs> He's an unmarried 39-year-old <laughs> ding-dong. <laughs> now, you may not understand exactly what it means, but since I've been working in this factory, I have made a time and motion study. Oh, I know what it means, Mr Lewis. And if you've got the time, I've certainly got the motion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I hadn't noticed it, Mrs. Moore. Especially in your main production department. Oh, you cheating devil! <laughs> Anyhow, I'd like to try and show you how it works. She knows how it works, I promise you. <laughs> Sexual politics has something to do with the act of fucking being to the advantage of the one who fucks and to the disadvantage of the one who is fucked. And the one who is fucked, be it male or female or a goat or a pig or a stone, is always characterised as female and inferior. So, okay. we're saying this book was written in the mid-70s, or finished in the mid-70s yeah, anyway. it was. You've made a very convincing case for it being set in, in 1971. 1971. Yes. When, obviously, sexual politics were not... Were, well, they were, they were starting to 
well, sort of in shift. Culturally right? and academically, they were changing. Yeah. Whether they were actually changing out in the real world, obviously not. Well, I, I found a really great timeline of historic moments in the women's liberation movement. Oh, right, OK. We should say he goes to Cambridge in the uh, third book. And oh, so yeah, may have does. bumped into Germaine Greer. Germaine Greer would have been doing it. It would have been PhD. at Cambridge around that time. I think she would have done the, the female unit came out in 1970. Is that it? right? Yeah. Oh, what a brilliant idea that he went out with Germaine Greer and tried to get off with her. I should own up about women. It's a rough old world, despite its odd flashes of sophistication. Women make it acceptable the same way antiques do. They bring pleasure and an element of wonderment. When oftener than not, you'd only be thinking of the next struggle. There's nothing wrong in it all, it's just the way things are. Morality's no help. Keep cool, hang on to your common sense, and accept whatever's offered. Take what you can get from any woman that is willing to give it. Okay. Okay. And before you even start to argue, no, I won't listen to all that junk about waiting for spontaneous out of the blue true love. Love is made. It is the product of many makings. A man and a woman just don't fall in love at a glance, sighing and longing and whatever. They have to make love, build it up month after month, having sex and becoming loving towards each other. See, See that's a, quite nice. He's a bit of a philosopher, right? He's a romantic. Yeah, but then, but then we get to... And the fights. We scrapped a lot. Sometimes because of sex, other times because stress is part of life and you let off steam. She was irritable sometimes. She'd announce it from the doorway on arrival, standing there. I'm angry, Lovejoy, she'd say, blazing. With me or without, I'd say. And every time she'd fling back, with you, Lovejoy, who else? And we'd argue for hours. I've chucked her out before now because of her temper. Once women get their dander up, all you can do is send them packing because there's no point in everybody getting an arranged to suit their needs for a Barney, is there? I've sloshed her too sometimes when she's got me mad and other times making love. But that's only the love sort of coming out, isn't it? Once I bruised her and got worried afterwards, which made her laugh and call me silly. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite difficult, right? Yeah, it's quite difficult. And, and, and it gets worse. There's, I mean, just throw away comments about women throughout both all yeah. these books. Okay. About observation about women always ending with a line. Ever noticed that? Ever noticed that? And it's... They're all the same, aren't they? Relentless misogyny yeah. throughout the book. Yeah. Now, I'm going to try and just make the case that I think that what the writer is doing, to some extent, because he's set it back in 71 and he's writing in 77, I think he's talking about sort of Essex man's unease with the growing yeah. autonomy and power of women yeah, in society yeah. Yeah. and is reacting against it. Yeah. That he doesn't like the fact that they've all got their own jobs yeah. and that they're free to have sex with him or not have sex with him. Yeah. Um, his only reaction to that can be to hit them or, <laughs> or to humiliate or them. Or to humiliate them. And in the timeline of this, we have to say things like 1967, the Abortion Act, okay? Ford Machinist Strike in Dagenham is 68. Nice. Okay, Barbara Castle becomes Secretary of State, 68. Yeah. Okay, the youngest women MP, Bernadette Devlin, 69. Yeah. The Women's Liberation Movement Conference... First one, 1970. Right. Do you think Lovejoy went to that? More than 600 women attended the first national conference in 1970 to debate equal pay, equal educational and job opportunities, free contraception, free nurseries. The Leeds clothing workers' strike is in 1970. The Miss World protest in 1970, of which there's a film coming out, written by my very good friend Gabby Chappie. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really good, I suspect. Another women's lib movement conference in 71 in Skegness. Okay. <laughs> Odd venue. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? That, they were, that was the start. And then, then again in 72 in Manchester and in London. 
the need to liberate women from as work done both inside and outside the home. The first edition of Spare Rib published June 1972. So it's all happening around Lovejoy, and he's not liking it. He's not happy about it, is he? Those of you who have tuned in to see a road test of the Bentley Continental will no doubt be disappointed to learn that just two days before we were due to film it, somebody turned it into a banana-shaped Bentley. English roads are original roads, and they are my very favourite. I get so much pleasure in England because all of the roads are, like, new, apart from these roads. These are, like, the original roads that horse and carts created thousands of years ago. Now we've decided it's 1971, another weird coincidence is Lovejoy in the first book, in, in his search to find the murderer, yeah. gets a lead about flintlocks being bought and sold in Norfolk. Yep. And he, so he, drives, goes, he drives up all to... the way to Clyde to, and, and then goes and stays, has a lunch in Blakeney. Blakeney Hotel. In 1971. Yeah, yeah. Who's in the Blakeney Hotel in 1971, Lloyd? Jack Higgins. Jack Higgins was searching the Eagle has landed, is there, for a few days. So Lovejoy's there in his black leather jacket. Lovejoy's sitting there. Jack Higgins is there in his black leather jacket. Yeah, all we need now. And in walks. <laughs> all we need now is... Dublin Sebelt. Is Sebelt to come in in 1971 <laughs> researching some of his landscape <laughs> novel? Has anyone, we've got the full set. Has anyone seen my volume of Walter Benjamin? <laughs> Jack Higgins stands up and said, Are you German? <laughs> No, he says, are you looking at my wife? And Lovejoy says... <laughs> Lovejoy goes, yeah, what of it? <laughs> no, Lovejoy says, are you interested in a little bit of mice and pottery? Geezer. <laughs> so this is, the, this is uh, it's the kind of thing Tom Stoppard might write a play yes, about. Yes, yes. Three people meeting at a point in but history. But I can't, like, uh, this trilogy of uh, podcasts we've done, I've all returned us to the Blakeney Hotel in 1971. I can absolutely see Jack Higgins and Lovejoy having lunch together yeah, yeah, yeah. at the Blakeney Hotel. So, book one, Judas Pear. Yes. He is driving an Armstrong Siddeley. But it's really slow. It it's really, really, does, really slow. It's comically slow. He talks about, he makes a big joke out of it. Uh, and then Sheila, it's Bird. Yeah. Um, sloshed a few times at this point. I have a secret to tell you, Lovejoy. <laughs> You're not. Certainly not. <laughs> she reached under the dashboard in front of me. Take your foot off the accelerator. I can't. The engine will cut out. Please. I did as she said. Just before the engine coughed to silence, she twisted something near the steering rod. The engine muted instantly into a deep, steady thrum. She stood back and dusted her hands. There! I sat, mesmerised. Now, she said casually, care for a spin? <laughs> uh, push over. She came into the driver's seat and nudged me across. Let the expert do it, honey. All right. She said kindly, flicked a switch somewhere and yanked on an angled rod thing near her knee. We took off. My spine nearly slipped from the force. The old Armstrong boomed easily around the station roundabout and Sheila put it onto the hill near the hospital at 50. We zoomed onto the main A12 about three minutes later. A12 here? And that's us. We're on there now. A12? She's going to the station to go back to London. Yeah. Right? Come on then. I do you want to carry on? Yeah. We zoomed onto the main A12 about three minutes later and Sheila crashed her slickly up into the 70s. Yeah, we're in the 70s now. Fields and trees flicked by. Yes. Wind pulled at my face and her hair streamed out flat against her temples. Oh. In a couple of breaths, the signs to Keldon darted past. That that was Kelvin. I sat in frozen it. disorientation while all this happened around me. Sheila pulled out into the middle lane. 
Okay. Hang on a minute. There's, Hold only, on, two there's lanes. only two lanes. What do you mean the middle there's only lane? Two lanes. We'll go in the outer lane. I did her mystery with the levers. The mystery with the levers. Yeah. We hummed alongside a column of slower cars, Come and on. as she overtook back into the inside, yeah. the needle wobbled down to seventy. There was hardly a shudder. A couple more milliseconds, and we were with them. Well. She well, you it. say milliseconds. We came in on Kelvedon. Yeah. We've been doing a steady 70. Yeah. Right? On two lanes. There's no middle lane. On two lanes. We've had several milliseconds. Yeah. And we're still quite away from it. I Whitton. wouldn't say that was Fleming-esque levels of accuracy on the road descriptions. Yeah, I'd say that was pushing it a bit. Yeah, yeah. But he falls in love with Sheila at this point because... She, she fixes his car. Because she knows how to fix a car. Now, you had something about the Armstrong Sidley's engine. Yes, isn't it? Is it after, after she's... Hold on a minute. Brace yourself, reader. After she's died, yeah. he's very sad. Yeah. And uh, he goes to drown his sorrows in a pub somewhere. And somebody says to him, no, it's the station master says, oh, you're the guy with the Braithwaite car engine, aren't you? Mm. And then he's, what he's discovered is that what she knew, because she'd been out with a garage mechanic okay. before him. Right. And learned all about cars, was that he had an, a, a, the one and only... Uh, Sidley that had an, had a Braithwaite engine in it. Okay, it's a one-off. Now I looked that up, thinking that's just going to be a bit of old rubbish. Yeah. But actually, in the early 1900s, there was a Braithwaite engine company, but they only the made in 1900s. Yeah, yeah. And there was a. There is now. They're very myth. They're sort of semi-mythical because they were uh, a very advanced engines. They right. had a special valve setup that Norton didn't adopt uh, until the 1930s or something. Okay. They were really ahead of their time, but there are motorcycle engines, not car engines. So he's doing 70 miles an hour in a car with a motorcycle With a motorcycle engine. A very rare, exclusive, old motorcycle engine. <laughs> I think okay. that's the author's joke. I think Jonathan Cash is, having, is, is messing with us a bit there. So we're going to get to Witham, and then they have a very touching farewell scene. Well, he says goodbye to her, and that's the last time we go as far as the sex shop. <laughs> <laughs> to, you know, to finish, the, to, to come full circle. That, that's where I'm leaving you. What, the sex shop? Yeah, I'm just going to leave you there. <laughs> What do you mean? It's impossible to castrate a woman, at least as far as the definition is concerned, in a dictionary. It's only impossible to castrate a woman because it's assumed that she has no sex from the outset, because she's assumed to be a castrated thing from the outset. I mean, I didn't castrate women. Freud did. But I just take issue with Freud on that basic thing, because I say that just as a bullock doesn't know what it's like to be a bull and doesn't know what he's missing, so women who live in the normal circumstances in our society don't know what it's like to be really female and really human and really in control of all their potential. She brought us into the station and switched off. The motor breathed a sigh, quieting into silence. Tea, Governor? There was a tea stall within reach. OK, so there's, we're at Whitton. There's no tea stall? No. It doesn't mention the rather intimidating car park <laughs> pricing and cameras saying, we're going to charge you. Squillion, squillions of pounds. You see me off. Yeah, yeah, of course we are. We stood in silence, slurping tea from cracked cups. Sheila had this strange feminine knack of being able to drink scalding fluids without losing her esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, I, I've never thought about the women being able to do that before. <laughs>
The chap on the stool must have thought we'd had a row because he studiously busied himself picking up the losers at Cheltenham and left the cup there. So we're walking so over the platform of Woodford Station. This is meant to be a sort of romantic good pl- place of where they last, last see each other. It's not a very romantic place, though, is it? It's bloody awful, isn't it? You know what? I asked. She shook her head. You shake your head. I think I'm starting to fall for you. <laughs> so you're on platform four, aren't you? I'm on platform four. Is he going out to platform? No. I don't think so. So he says, I think I'm starting to fall for you. <laughs> Will you stop saying that? <laughs> on the station, people are beginning to look. Yeah, look oh, there's at There's a train. I might jump down and go on that train. Okay. He says, I'll meet you at the station. She says, about time, love boy. And your parting one is, the train came and took her away. I love you. Give us a kiss, love. <laughs> and then you have to call back at me. Your very last words to me are, go easy in that monster. Go easy in that monster. Is that all you're going to do? <laughs> I will. That's all you're getting. See you Sunday. See you later. Curiously Specific Book Club. Every bond you break, every step you take